With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. That clearly doesn't love you when they probably never have told you turn the other cheek. And they made it with a bat, fuck them protests in them cities. Told you go fight in the war. Vietnam, you died good riddance. That man of the house rule took you from your siblings. Turned around a pump crack right up in your city. And they turned all your leaders the martyrs. You was off in the war, now who was guarding your daughters? It was riots in the streets, killed Malcolm and Martin. Called a national guard up because we ride with our guard up. And that was building your guard. The second amendment don't apply to you. Everything that they taught you was a lie to you. See, they scared of your skin and they dying to shoot. Take the American dream and then you die to pursue. One day it'll all make sense. If it ain't about power, then it don't make sense. But none of that money matters when you live in madness. So one day you figure out that all you got is this. Peace, love, and the middle fingers. Right on. Peace, love, and the middle fingers. Right on. Peace, love, and the middle fingers. Right on. Peace, love, and the middle fingers. For those of you who don't know the pain... Good afternoon. Welcome to Blade Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind these enemy lines known as USA Inc. Today's date is June 16th, 2015. 2015. Did I say 15th? <laughs> yeah, June 16th, 2015. It is a Tuesday uh, afternoon. I hope that... um my voice finds you in good health and that, you know, you are not plagued with most of the problems that most non-white people face in this country under this system uh, that is based on the false belief that white supremacists are superior people. Uh, certainly they are in a superior position, but they are not superior uh, people. They are not superior to other people on the face of this earth. All right, so uh, today got a couple of topics that I would like to discuss. I also want to revisit some things uh, from yesterday. Um, before I do that, let me just uh, bring up some uh, information from some comments or share some information from some comments that was posted on the program page for yesterday's broadcast. Uh, we were discussing Khalif Browder. And it was, you know, questioned whether or not any churches or any, you know, organizations assisted in his uh, obtaining bail for him. So he didn't have to sit up in Rikers Island for three years before he even came to trial. And eventually all the charges were dismissed. Unfortunately, not long afterwards, he committed suicide 
and we are left to spe- speculate on why he committed suicide. I mean, he, um, I, I would imagine, um, some of his depression and some of the things that he might have experienced in that type of setting, that hostile environment, uh, that, you know, perhaps some things happened to him that he just simply could not emotionally get over and sought to alleviate his suffering by taking his own life. Um, I, I think that that is incorrect behavior to take your life. Um, again, I'm not judging him though. He was a young man. Um, Young people typically do not make good decisions, and I don't know if he had any help, um, any kind of professional help or spiritual help to help him deal with uh, what he had experienced. So, but we had asked the question about, you know, why was his bail so high? If in fact it was high, um, I do believe he was offered bail, but. Um, it was brought up in a comment yesterday. It says that um, there may be some some factual errors in the Khalif Browder report. I believe he was on probation for a minor offense that led to the bail difficulties with his family. I also believe they offered him plea deals many times that he refused because he was innocent. Uh, let me stop right there. Thank you, Joy, for sharing your comments. Um, I looked it up. Um, cause I, I just couldn't remember, although I had talked about this case several times and knew some of the details. They just d- didn't, uh, come to my memory yesterday. Um, you are correct. He did have quote unquote UFO offender status, um, because a cop said that he took a delivery truck for a joyride and crashed into a parked car. And in the interest of full disclosure, I had to be honest with y'all. I have done that. I have done that. And when I was like, I think I was like 12, 12. Yeah, I think I was like 12 years old. And we were living in Detroit. And some of my friends had stolen a car. And we were joyriding in it. And and I remember driving the car and hitting all these parked cars. I was side swiping all these parked cars that was on this street. I mean, it's not funny. But as I think back, you know, all the incorrect behavior that I have been engaged in in my life, I am not judging anyone. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but yeah, that, that was the reason he did have UFO offender status because he went joyriding in a truck. Um, he was charged with grand larceny. Um, he said that he told the person who wrote this article for the New Yorker, uh, magazine, said that his friends are the one that, that stole it and, and he only watched. But he figured that he had no defense in court, so he pleaded guilty. Now, the, the judge gave him probation and youthful offender status, which ensured that he would not have a criminal record once he got off of probation. And I think that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Actually, I was thinking about writing a, a sports-related article for that sp- sports website that I've been writing for um, in terms of Cam Newton, um, something he did when he was at the University of Florida, but they didn't throw the book at him and he went into like this deferred prosecution program that uh, put him on probation and then he was able to get his life together. Um, go to junior college, then get back into the major university, go on, win a championship, win a um 
win the Heisman Trophy. Um, and then just last week he signed a, um, 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 football contract worth over $100 million. And so I wanted in the area of sports to use him as an example for these type of programs that will not just simply incarcerate, imprison, enslave these youth and ruin their lives, but give them a second chance. And and so I, I thought Cam Newton would be a good example for that and why I feel like he is a great role model for youth because he does a lot of work with youth. He has his own youth foundation because he has been in trouble in the past and he was able to overcome that because of that program okay so yes you are correct he did have youth offender status now that my question is being that he was charged with a non-violent crime for which he was on probation does that warrant him getting such a high bail which i don't know what his bail amount was I, I I can't recall what his bail amount was, so um, I'm sh- I'm sure that played into it. But was it so high, you know, that did it need to be that high? From what I was saying, and I don't know if anybody has done any kind of study in this area. Um, I'm sure they have. I just can't recall. I shouldn't say I'm sure. Probably more than likely they have looked at the bail amounts that black people get as opposed to white people for the same crime. I think it's logical to assume that since we know that black people get more sentence sentenced to more time in slavery for the same offenses that a white person has committed. You know, a white person might get probation whereas a black person might get sentenced to five years in prison for the same offense, you know, given all things are the same, meaning that they had the same um, criminal record, meaning that they didn't have a criminal record. And I have seen that frequently discussed in, in, in that area of, of criminal justice. And you are correct. Perhaps his parents didn't know those churches that do provide help for people. And we don't want to label all churches or any kind of religious organization, whether it's a church or mosque, we don't want to paint them with broad brushes and say they are doing nothing to help the community because I have had the opportunity to interview and work on some things with some people in the, what do they call it, the faith community who were, you know, uh, doing stuff out there on the grassroots level to help people. Um, in terms of my personal experiences, when I used to participate in organized religion, one of the things that happened to me personally um, that I that led to me to stop participating in organized religion is that I had went to the church for help and to obtain uh, an attorney to help me, um, you know, get custody of my children. Um, and they they just didn't help me. They didn't even give me any explanation as to why they were turning down my request for a thousand dollars. You know, and for those that say, you know, well, why should they give you a thousand dollars? Well, at that time in my life, my mother was also going to that church. My sister was also going to that church, and we were faithful 
in giving money to that church, paying tithes and offerings. And one time I had even personally cut a thousand dollar check after I had gotten like a tax return. I think my tax return was like $4,000. I gave a thousand of that to that church. And so my family had probably contributed over $10,000 to that church. Okay. And so I became disillusioned as to why. And then I didn't even ask them to give me a thousand dollars. I asked them to make me a personal loan of a thousand dollars. And that bitter experience of them um, not only turning down my request, but not giving me an explanation is why what led me to stop participating in organized religion and stop just blindly giving people my money, you know, that are not doing what they're supposed to be doing with that money because also I had heard from other members of that church who may have needed help with you know keeping the lights on or something like this that you know they made them jump through all this red tape and and jump through hoops and stuff like that and and then didn't even help them didn't even help them you know put them through all of that and then didn't want to want to help them so you know um that I was you know a lot of us, we base our um, opinions and things sometimes on our personal experiences. And that may seem correct, but it isn't correct in every instance. So we do um, have to acknowledge that we can't just paint every church as being, you know, um, not helpful, not helping people. All right. So uh, let me see if she um, if Joy brought up anything else that, that we need to address. Um, when I talked about not being married, when we were talking about, um, Dr. Uh, Umar Dulla Johnson, and I had made the point, I had made, I had shared with you that I choose not to get married because I feel like it would distract me from the work that I am engaged in. And, and she said, I'm assuming this is a person, uh, a female named Joy, um, stated that correctly and and yeah if you are married to the right person uh it is correct to say that that person can make a uh, living life easier and may give you the ability to get more done that's not an incorrect statement and and so I'm not in dispute with that but I guess I should say it's just my personal choice I just don't have any interest in dating right now um Perhaps my past experiences of failed relationships um, have made me just not want to be in a relationship. I mean, it's just not, I just don't have that urge to to have that sort of intimate human contact that may change at a, at a future point in my life. But right now, that is not an area that I desire. That is not something I, I, I desire. I give um, plenty of fulfillment and intimate contact of a non-sexual nature, you know, by interacting with my, with my family members. And so, um, I just thought I, w- I would bring that up. Um, also, um, TY, uh, commented, we did not get to cover, um, the, uh, thing about implicit bias, the article about implicit bias, which we will look at today. And, but they said after reading, the article may be implicit bias should include a definition for cultural prejudice along with unconscious pre- prejudice. In other words, stereotypes or attitudes about particular racist 
and ethnic groups have been ingrained in the American culture. And so, like I, like I said, you know, we, um, like I replied in the comment section, we will, uh, discuss that, uh, today. So let's get into the topics for today. Like I just stated, we skipped over the article on rethinking implicit bias in wake of McKinney incident. Um, the article delves into the dangers of saying that acts of racism are unconscious. The, uh, the author argues that this is a simplistic way of trying to explain away acts of racism. Okay, so I, I will um, share uh, some of the key points of that article with you. I think that, that the person who wrote that article makes some very good points in, in, in pointing out the dangers of of coming up with facile arguments and facile just means a simplistic article in i mean a simplistic way of trying to explain a complex problem and so that's going to lead me into um something else that we briefly touched upon yesterday when uh one of the callers had asked about you know my thoughts on holding black people quote unquote accountable um so, you know, they tagged me in a post on Facebook. It's a public post, so I'm sure they don't mind me sharing. And if they're listening, they can certainly call, call in and uh, we can discuss this further. But it was, I would say, a constructive um, dialogue. I mean, I like people who force me to think, not just think about the surface issues, but to dig down deeper and get past the surface and try to find the root cause. So, Speaking, speaking of rethinking implicit bias and, and, and using that simplistic term to explain away acts of racism, of uh, saying that these people are unconsciously doing those things. And, and I, I don't, I'm not sure I buy into that, but I also think it's simplistic to simply say in the context of white supremacy that white people are the problem. I think that is a simplistic way of looking at this complex problem and it is complex because if it wasn't complex and it was a simple problem to figure out then somebody would have came up with the answer already and and you know we would still would not be plagued with this problem uh that has been plaguing us for centuries uh primarily here in the belly of the beast behind these enemy lines so um the questions you know that were brought up um were concerning holding black people or non-white people accountable for their actions uh that i say you know proxy racism constitutes assisting white supremacists in confusing non-white people about racism and white supremacy and how it works and not only confusing them but in some instances they are physically bringing harm to non-white people acting as proxy racists all right now, I, I, yesterday I did a very, very poor job in trying to explain uh, my position. I came up with, I feel like, very poor examples. I was kind of pressed for time, and, and to be honest, I wasn't really focused in on the question because I was having issues with my system, so I was a bit distracted, not making, you know, excuses for myself, um, but I, I hope that I can provide some further clarification today and, you know, just to keep down conflict. My intention is not to be putting anyone on front street or to be in conflict with, with non-white people. 
Um, I'm hoping that we can foster some constructive dialogue on what I feel like is a very, very, very important topic. I mean, I would not be working on a book about proxy racism if I didn't think it was a huge problem. So I think it is a very important uh, topic. And, and just, you know, for to put out front, I do not believe that white people are the problem, as has been stated. I believe that white supremacists are the problem because based on you know and i haven't read the cold book neely fuller's compensatory cold book from front cover to back cover i'm working my way through it but from some of the stuff i have read um neely fuller which some people don't agree with but i do agree with that in the context of white supremacy there are three types of people there are white people there are white supremacists and there are non-white people and some people don't don't agree with that and they have made it known and that's okay your agreement is is isn't necessary you know we are not going to agree on everything 100 percent, but that don't mean we got to fall out with each other like i said you know in, in in the past is that the way that i used to approach reading the bible when people would tell me you know you shouldn't be reading that book it's based on fairy tales and this and that and that and, and that, and that's not, and it's not an incorrect statement to make. All right. It is not a historical book, but it does have some seeds of wisdom in it. And most of it has been stolen from black people. And so when I, you know, uh, tell people, you know, well, this is how I approach reading the Bible. I take that which makes sense to me, which seems logical to me. And then I just ignore the rest. That don't make sense to me that God would have a chosen people that, you know, he favors this people over another people. And, you know, that doesn't even make sense to me. You know, how could God have, you know, why would, why would a just God that, you know, that's practicing justice or believes in justice, if indeed there is a creator, then that doesn't seem like a just act a favoring, a favoring one part of your creation over the rest and so again when you come whenever you read something that you don't agree with in any publication or enduring conversation then just set aside that which you do not agree with and hold on to that that you think is logical and that you can um implement and gain some benefit uh from it so <clears throat> so i believe the problem it's white supremacists. And I also believe that a part of the problem is proxy racists, non-white people who practice proxy racism, who allow themselves to be tools of white supremacists. I think that, again, I've said this in the past, you cannot ignore any equation of the problem. For example, let's use a math, let's use a math equation. 2 plus 2 equals 4, right? The equations are 2, right? Or let me say it this way. 2 plus 3 equals 5. So the so the variables in this equation is 2 and 3. So the solution is 5. Now, if we remove any of the variables, then we are left with a missing part of the problem. See, if it's two plus nothing, then you can't arrive at five. You will be left at two because two plus zero is two. If you say zero plus three, 
then you arrive at three and not five. So to ignore any variable of a problem is not scientific. It's not even mathematical. I mean, it's mathematically impossible to arrive at the correct answer if you eliminate any of the variables in that problem, in that math problem. And so I tend to try to, you know, just view things like that. Well, not all the time, but I'm viewing white supremacy as a mathematical problem that has many variables and that we need to study each variable and see what we can do to to come up with the proper solution. Um, also, if we have time, I also want to discuss the deception that is being promoted in white people's press, white people's media concerning these black women who are being interviewed or or you know talking to the press and saying that there aren't enough black men to marry or even saying there are not enough quote unquote good black men you know to marry and that's why they're looking outside to date outside their race or or whatever you know to justify why they marrying you know Hispanics or they're marrying white people or they marrying Asians or or whatnot, you know. So I think that white people who are behind the production of this type of media, that they are being deceptive. They are again, once again, trying to drive a wedge in the black community and saying something is a problem that is not a problem. And some of these black women are using the excuse of mass incarceration slash modern slavery as a way to say that it's not enough men in the dating pool because all these black men in prison, you know. And so uh the fact is there are a lot, you know, it is correct to say that a lot of black men are in prison, all right. One black man in prison for a nonviolent victimless crime is one too many. And there is an estimate of about 1.5 million black men who are in prison in jail. And I'm not trying to ignore the black women or the black children who are being uh, uh, forcibly held against their will on these prison plantations or detention facilities or in jails or, or whatnot. I'm not, you know, trying to ignore the plight of our black women. All right. But in terms of, of the conversation that I was having, which was also constructive, a bunch of people, you know, just uh, offering their viewpoint on this perceived problem and trying to arrive at what is the correct answer. Are they being truthful? It's, should we pay attention to what they're saying? Are those studies correct and, and whatnot? And, and so, you know, it will be based on I'm basing it off of this video and I'm going to play the audio to that video for you that, you know, black women going on um, television and saying that there aren't enough black men. There was one woman and I was going to write about it, but then I was like, and I just really don't feel like focusing on any proxy racism today. I want to focus on white people today. So even though what she said is incorrect and she's putting out false information to a mass audience of black people who, and it's just confusing them. I just didn't feel like, I just didn't feel like deconstructing her argument that day therefore I didn't write an article about it but there was one black woman who is in the um, 
she's on television on one of those reality shows. I can't remember her name, but the interview, I came across it on Facebook and it was posted on a quote unquote black website. And, you know, she was, again, she was saying the same thing. So I, what I'm saying is I'm noticing a pattern and practice of, of black women in these videos, this is not to say all black women believe this. I'm just saying the black women that are, to use a term from Neely Fuller, being showcased in the media are saying that there are not a good enough good black men for black women to marry or using the excuse of mass incarceration to say that that has harmed the dating pool. All right, so those are some of the things that I would like to uh, put on the table uh, for discussion uh, today. Um, I do see we have a caller. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take the call. I usually don't take calls this early before getting into the program, but the first thing, I'm going to take your call, and then we're going to jump into this article about rethinking implicit bias in the wake of the McKinney incident. For those that don't know what they're talking about, they're talking about that white cop that assaulted uh, those black female, I mean, those black children, those black teenagers, and as one caller put it, and I agree with her, we can even classify him him. Uh, straddling that black female as uh, a sexual assault, you know. So, um, yeah, that's what they're talking about, that incident. Um, the telephone number is 530-881-1400. The access code is 549032-POUND. You can hit star six in the number one to queue up from the conference line. Um, I want to give out this, this Skype number, but you know what? To avoid the problems that I had yesterday with my system locking up, which Skype does contribute to that because it uses a lot of computer resources, I'm not going to open up Skype um, to take calls because I've been having problems uh, with it. I am looking at an alternative solution, and Skype actually is is um, has issued a web-based phone but it doesn't allow me to use my um, seven-digit number, and it doesn't allow me to make calls out yet. That'll be later. They say it's in beta testing, and I was, you know, sent um, an invitation to be a beta tester on that. So um, I'm not going to use that number, 704-951-5030, to take calls because I don't want the system to lock up like yesterday. All right. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Um, someone's coming up as an anonymous caller. Uh, please go ahead with your question, comment, or observation. Hey, Scotty. Um, good afternoon. This is Sarah calling in. Hey, Sarah. How are you today? Hey, I'm not doing too bad. I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt your flow, Scotty. I was just calling to put myself in the queue, but if you still have to go through the monologue, you can go ahead and put me back on hold and finish up what you were, what you have to say, and then you come back to me. I'm done with the. I'm done with the monologue and, you know, the uh, next thing I'm going to jump into is sharing some of the details of that article. But if you have something that you would like to share, whether that was from yesterday's program or whether it is something we have stated today, please, you know, you don't need to wait. Go ahead and share it. Okay, well, thank you. Uh, what I was going to say on, on yesterday's show, it, program, it, was, it was most informative and I really don't want to touch on the topic with Dr. Umar Johnson because if I told a friend of mine, I admire Dr. Johnson. I will still support his work that he is doing. 
But the only thing, the critique that I would have to give to him is that he needs to get himself surrounded by people who have his best interest at heart and know that what he's out here trying to do, there's always going to be someone out here trying to derail him. Mm-hmm. And as a man, and, I, and I'm coming from a woman, and I have sons, I don't have any daughters, and I've always told my sons, I said, you have got to be cognizant of the fact that whatever it is you're out there doing, there's always going to be somebody out here, woman out here, who's going to try and pull you down. You have got to use your the bitter head and not the small head to do your thinking. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, with Dr. Johnson, I don't know who we have in his corner that, you know, as we always say in the military, have your buddy system with you in order mm-hmm. to keep you out of trouble. Yes. And he might need to do that, get him some good, you know, older gentlemen who are, um, who are well established in the community who could steer him and keep him from falling into these traps that are going to be laid for him. Uh, that's the only thing that I want to say to him because I admire the brother. I appreciate. I, I will support the work that he's trying to do for the community because he's one of the few out here that is doing it and trying to help his people. But he just still have to check himself and to know that everybody is not in the same. You know, they're not at the same level as him, and they are not looking for him to succeed. Sister Sarah, um, um, Sister yes, Sarah, sir. Be, before you go further, let me just add to something that you said that somebody brought up and it wasn't brought up yesterday. He also needs to consider COINTELPRO. Okay. Mm-hmm. He also needs to cons- consider that you, that, that the enemy will send people after you to, to impugn your character, to, to discredit your work and to ultimately prevent you from being a help to your people. And, and I understand what you're saying. Sometimes men, we do, and that's a fact, we get our hormones get going and we see a sister that we like and oh man, she's really attractive and, and we can't resist sometimes. And, and hopefully that comes with more maturity, but you are exactly right. And, and that's not, that's not to even say that I believe what happened happened. You know, it may have or it may not. And so I share, I share in what you said is consider the work you are doing and consider that people want to see you fail and so to exercise better discretion or better decision making skills and we are all human human beings and if you did it we are not condemning you and we are here for you to uplift you exactly and, and that's you know and that's the same thing that I was telling you know the friend of mine I said I, you know, I admire him I don't want to see him go down but he is just has got to have a better wingman as they would say a PR person to be here to guide him and to keep him from falling into the trap because many civilizations have gotten destroyed because of men chasing after you know you know what right and it has caused because you know what happened with Julius Caesar Mark Antony and all of them they got all got taken down by using that small head instead of the big head but to um your topic that you initially opened up with in this situation with this so-called push towards interracial. You know, I, I really don't understand why women would get on TV and talk about all, you know, that there's no available men out here for them to hook up with black men. To me, it, it, it doesn't make any sense because, as you said, you have to look at the root cause for the problem. These men are being picked up as the, the report came out with Bratton in New York saying that there are no eligible black people to join the force because they all have records. Well, how, well why did they get these records? Mm-hmm. Isn't it because the police are picking them up and putting these frivolous felonies on them, having them to plead out and whatever, mm-hmm. so they have these blotches on their records. So when you have to run a credit check or a criminal background check, these things will pop up and will be disqualifiers. 
And that's the same thing that is happening out here in this society that women have always, we have always been used as a tool by white supremacists within which to, um, to keep black men down. Because we've always been out here in the workforce. They've always would go ahead and give you the job instead mm -hmm. of letting the man have the same job, have the same qualification. But they're going to play these psychological games with us and letting the, ma letting the woman get ahead. And then you, we're going to run around here thinking, oh, that we know we're all that and a bag of chips. Well, it is not. These are the games that they are playing with us. And to say that there are no qualified men out here, that you have to go look for other ethnicities within which to find companionship, it is ridiculous. And to me, we are focusing on a small percentage of people who are out here doing it because the vast majority of black women are not into these so-called interracial or, in, mm -hmm. or, or intraracial um, relationships. Mm -hmm. Most of us are with black spouses. We are not stepping out. Mm -hmm. So the few who are out here doing it, we need to not let the few be the definition for the many of us. It's the same way it is out here with men who might be, or black men who might be out here dating. They was put on TV, the so-called ball players and mm -hmm. CEOs and a couple of other people who are into these relationships and making it seem that this is the majority, but it is not. The only problem with that is the resources that is being drained from the black community when these men leave out of the community mm -hmm. to go out and have these women from whether it be Asian, Latino, or white, that resources end up going to their community. It's not going to reflect it back in the black community. That's the only problem that I have because when these white men or whoever, because they all like to say, oh, a lot of these CEOs are billionaires, they know it's a black women. But Look at the black women at their shoes, because they always pull up like George Lucas, for instance, and say, well, okay, George Lucas already have his white children. Mm. So, yes, he married to, um, to Melanie Hobson, this black woman, you know, well-educated um, sister that he is with. You would ever bet that whenever he drop out of here and he die, his wealth is not going to pass to her. His white children are going to end up getting the majority of whatever his estate is going to be. Mm. That's a very good so, point. Yes, so, we, so we've got to, to stop and think because when, you know, white men have always had access to black women. This is not nothing new that we're trying to make. It seems it's a novelty. It's a new idea. They've always had access to us. All these mulattoes and biracial children on the plantation, they came out with black women, not black men. It's only within the last 50 years that black men have been trying to get caught up with, by stepping out and getting involved in all of these intraracial, um, as they would call it, unions. But it has always been black women who have always been used as to, to produce these mixed race, these so-called mixed race children. Mm -hmm. So what they are doing now, to me, is a distraction because they are trying to create confusion, mm -hmm. just like they try to stay with it, like you mentioned, with the transracial and the transgenderism. Because right now, I'm still trying to see them trying to equate lesbianism and, you know transracialism and all of this other stuff with this with a woman whose name is not going to be mentioned that is still trying to confuse those two and if we can say that that race is a social construct but you going out here as a black person getting racially profiled is not no social construct the same people who created racism is now trying to tell you it's a social construct to try and confuse you mm -hmm. I agree. Um, I'm going to jump on that topic first, uh, since you brought it up, Sister Sarah. I'm going to play this, this clip. It's about four minutes long, and I think that it will, um, 
is some things that's being said in here that I want people to pay attention to because again, this is, it's a lot of, uh, uh, deception being played here. And so whenever somebody makes a statement, you should not just accept that as a statement of fact. You should, if you don't know, you should go and look it up to make sure that, you know, that you are not being misled. So this is, this one was put out by Al Jazeera, Al Jazeera, um, produced this particular clip that was shared um in this group that i'm in and, and we had a healthy um discussion men and, and women black men and women we had a healthy discussion and i would like to just share that with my listening audience so this is a, the clip um c- called quote unquote why african-american women struggle to marry so uh this is the clip It's a regular topic of conversation in the African-American community. Educated, successful black women in search of a partner are instead staying single. So black women aren't getting married, that's clear. But what does this mean? What are the implications? What are the long-term consequences? Sociology professor Chris Marsh studies those consequences and what's behind the growing phenomenon of black women staying single. There simply are more black women than there are black men. There's more professional available professional black women than there are more professional available black men. There's um, black men that are actually in prison and therefore not in the marriage market. 30-year-old Lamika Evelyn knows all too well the challenges of the marriage market. I assumed I would meet a guy. Evelyn has done everything right. She has a successful corporate career and is working on a PhD. She's active in her community and church. What's missing in her life is someone to share it with. I thought I would meet the love of my life, you know, make some money and have some babies. And I ended up being, you know, still single. She's not alone in feeling frustrated and like the deck is stacked against her. I mean, I think it's an interesting conversation. I certainly have received feedback like you're you're a little bit too educated, you're a little bit too strong-willed, you're too involved in activities. Another factor, interracial marriage. Census numbers reveal that black women are two and a half times less likely than black men to marry outside their race. I grew up in a very strong black household, black culture, and not not at the detriment uh, or degradation of any other group, but it was like, you know, proud of your roots and your background. And the most controversial factor, the high rate of arrests and incarceration of black men, who the Justice Department says are six times more likely than white men to be behind bars. I'm not dating a guy that has a record. And I know that sounds... And it's fine to support them in the, in the, capac- in the capacity if they've been incarcerated. You know, because I do exactly. believe in reaching, but that doesn't mean that I should be expected to see this person necessarily as potential mate material if I don't feel that way. And I shouldn't have to feel guilty about that. Sociologists say all of this adds up to a fundamental imbalance in the number of middle-class black men and women who are ready to marry and start a family. African-American husband and father, Frank Rochelle, didn't get married until his late 30s and says many of his friends are waiting too. The notion that those men don't want to get married, I think, is probably false. They just end up getting married somewhat later. I take great pride in taking care of my family, taking care of my wife, taking care of my daughter. The Rochelle does admit he's already worried about the choices facing his six-year-old. Tired. I do have concerns about my daughter and what her prospects are. I guess I would say I would prefer that she find a good black man. 
But according to census numbers, African-American women are less likely to get married than any other racial group. Across every age, black women are staying single at far higher rates than whites, Asians, and Hispanics. Dr. Marsh says that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think in some ways it's quite liberating. Marsh says marriage is no longer the key to climbing the economic ladder, and black women are doing it on their own. Although they may not have this traditional model that they initially wanted, they're still making ground for the black middle class. And Marsh says as more black women stay single, it's changing the very makeup of America's middle class. It's also changing the vision some African-American women have about their own future. I'm living my life because that's all I can do. And if the right person comes along, I know I'll be ready because I've invested so much time in self-growth and self-development. Libby Casey, Al Jazeera, Washington. All right, so um, that that was that clip, and I'm gonna share. I'm gonna share. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna share some of the thoughts that I shared with some of the people that I was discussing this with, and then I'll open it up for anybody else that wants to comment on. And one of the things I had, I had, I am noticing as a common theme in these videos with with these women are that they are complaining, like you heard the, the professor say, there aren't enough professional black men for professional black women so what does professional mean that means that i'm interpreting that to mean affluent affluent you know meaning wealth there are not enough black men making as much money as me for me to even consider them to be a a a potential mate so my question was then well are you looking to get married for love or are you looking to get married for money now, y'all remember when I remember an interview from Holly Berry, the actress. Um, she is a black woman, even though she has a, a white parent, but she is a black woman. I consider her a black woman. She gave an interview and she talked about how she was not above dating a construction worker, a blue collar worker, even though she may make mo- way more money than such a person that she was not above you know, marrying a construction worker. All right. Now, who did she end up marrying? Now, I don't know if she married that white man who works as a model or if she just had sex. I mean, entered into a relationship with him and they had a child. But I do know that right now in the media, I have seen reports about her and that white man arguing about referring to that child as a black child because he don't want her calling that child black. So they're having a cultural heritage fight right now because of that relationship. All right. And he's suing her for child support. And I think he did win that. And it's getting paid thousands of dollars a month, uh, 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 leeching off of this black woman. Okay. And, and, and so that's what I got from that is that these, some of these women, I shouldn't say these women, but some of these women that are being showcased in these videos is that are they really looking for love or they looking for to marry a paycheck so that they can have more things and so that they can be in the upper middle class status and they can live like the Huxtables or whatnot. Um, another thing that I picked up on in these videos. Now you heard them mention the census, right? Okay. Now I went and looked up the census. Now there is an estimated two twenty million black men in the United States, right? 
Uh, estimates say that 1.5 million of them are caught up in modern slavery or in prison. Okay. That is a lot of black men in prison, but most black men who are in prison, first of all, don't even belong there, but the vast majority of black men are not in prison. When you, you know, they are, that's just simply not true. Most black men are not in prison. All right. And and so there's a lot of white uh, black women in prison. So I guess we could say those two cancel each other out some somewhat because they're, you know, they're enslaving our entire black family. All right. Now, here is the other thing where I think that they are practicing deception and, and making it seem like there's a shortage of, of dateable black men or black men uh to get married. It says that 48 percent of those in the census of uh, sister, sister Sarah. Sister, yes, sir. we're getting a lot of background noise, so I'm gonna mute you and I'm gonna unmute you later. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Um. So, where was I? Uh, getting back to the census, it was talking about. Okay, this is what I found. Forty-eight percent of those who classify as black are men. Fifty-two percent who classify as black are women. That's a four percent difference. And that is not huge. That's that's not like this wide gap, you know, to where we could say then, you know, oh, man, there's a shortage. There's a shortage of black men. You know, it's like, you know, a a, a 30 percent gap in black men to women. That's not true. There's only a 4 percent gap between black women. Now, this is I, I, I also stated that I feel like this is relevant, but it may not be relevant. But let's just, let's just, you know, throw it out there for sake of argument. Now, if women, if black women are concerned a, a, about there not being enough black men, that there are too many black women as opposed to black men, is it possible we can close that gap by black women not having abortions? Now, I know that might ruffle some feathers and, and, and whatnot, and that some people might be offended by that. But do you realize how how many possible black men are not being born because of abortion? And and so do you think that we can close that four percent gap? And of course we you know when a child is when a child is conceived it, it has probably a fifty percent chance of being male or female. But again, if, if if you are one of those who believe that we must do something to to stop this shortage of black men, okay, is that a way that black women stop having abortions so that more black men can be born for more black children can be born? I'm not blaming the guy. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just throwing this out there, at, you know, at, as for the sake of um of this dialogue. And and so uh let me see, uh Sister Sarah, did you want to comment on anything you heard on that video? Yes, Scotty, um I, I, I do agree with your assessment. One thing that I want to bring into mind is that there have been several studies done by UNESCO and a lot of these UN NGO organizations that found out if they educate women, they will delay having children getting married, and eventually that is a way of population control, because you're seeing they're pushing this gender and these girls and women study on the African continent, places like Afghanistan and Mm -hmm. Iraq, where the U.S. have recently went in and created turmoil, Pakistan, 
because it's a way of getting these societies that have large families that when you educate them, they're going to delay having this family while they pursue their careers, their education, and at the time when they decide, okay, I'm ready to have children, their biological clock is about ready to be ticked out, so now you got to go to sperm banks and adoptions and all these other places to get children. And I'm, from what I'm hearing with these women who are talking about no qualified blacks, as you said, they're looking for status. They're looking for somebody with a paycheck rather than somebody in a, uh, in a body that they can communicate with. We've always had in our, in our societies where we have never looked at, you know, somebody's um, resume to see, okay, what clubs they belong to, how much is their bank account before you get married. You've married all across all strata. But now with this integration and what, what we have went through, we've seen a lot of women have fallen into the white people, white women. Becky's idea of a man have to have a certain amount of money in their bank account, drive a certain car, live on a certain zip code before he's considered to be marriage material. That is ridiculous. Hey, you know what you just I, brought to my uh, remembrance? Um, what they consider like the way men look at it trophy wife they want to make all mm-hmm. this money so they can get the trophy wife so now it seems like some of these black women that i'm hearing speaking on this are looking for the trophy husband yes they're looking for this life they're looking for what the white woman has or what they think white women have that they have these men who making money and they're sitting at home and they're having going to the clubs country clubs and having these suppers and playing tennis or whatever and they're looking to, to fit themselves into that. But black people, black women, we have never had that type of lifestyle. Our men have never been able to um, climb the, the so-called corporate ladder as white men have been able to do. So you can't put yourself into what you watch and you see on these soap operas and think that this is something that you want to have. It is not. It, it, is, it is impossible. It's not something that we are going to get. And for you to say that, okay, now I have to cross color lines and within which to get that, when statistics also prove that interracial marriages are have a higher divorce rate than people who marry intraracially. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 a high, it's a higher rate of divorce. So, so what are you doing? Are you going to go out here? And as you said with Halle Berry, she never married that white guy. Oh, I think his name is Gabriel Aubrey. They never got married. They had a relationship that they lived, they lived together for a while, had that child, and then until she married this other white man, this Frenchman that she's married to now, and they have those two children. But she never got married to that white man, so now you're you're seeing that he is saying no, his daughter she can't identify as being black, you know, mixed race or black or whatever they want to call it. But you know, which technically I can see his point because the girl is three quarters white, Holly is half white, her father is all white, so she's only got a quart black in her. So I can see why you say, well, why are you letting this quart, this quarter black that she have, dominate the three quarter white? Hmm. So that is probably the point that he is coming from. That you know he don't he doesn't want that for his child. He he's already know the black experience is going to be brutal to her. Mm-hmm. So if she compares into whiteness, being a three quarter white child, that's what he wants for his daughter. He don't want her to get the so called nigger experience. Mm. He don't he wants to avoid that for her. Right, and and if she wanted a child that identified as black, well, she should have had a child with a black man. Then exactly, it would have been three quarters black. And they never had children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the guy before that, Dave Justice. Yeah, the baseball married, player. Had, yeah, the baseball player. They never had any children. So, but it's these two white men that she later ended up with, that's the ones that she has the children with. Because she waited. She waited to advance her career before she decided mm-hmm. to have children. And then, exactly. Ma- yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what's happening to a lot of people around the, the, the world where white women, especially with Hillary Clinton and all of them, they're going out there, Bill Gates and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they're going to places like India, China, where there are these large populations. People have these large families. China already have it with a one-child rule. Now they're raised it up to two children per household. But in places like on the African continent, which is another thing, Scott, you don't mean to change your topic. You're going to have to come back to this discussion because what's going on with China with their one-child, two-child rule restriction on China, a lot of these Chinese men who are coming into Africa now with this new recolonization that they're doing over there, mm-hmm. and they're getting hooked up with these black women, and they're producing these um, mixed-race Chinese black children. This is another problem that we got coming at us because this is a way for them to take possession of African land because we know inheritance art is matrilineal in most African society. You send these Chinese men over there, they get hooked up with these um, African women, make these children. This is another way for you to get hold of land that you will end up taking. I'm glad you brought up Africa because you just brought to my remembrance. Uh, I didn't, I didn't share this publicly, but I was just thinking in my head. I was like, now let's just say we buy into this media deception. Let's say you one of those person that thinks that there aren't enough black men worthy of marriage here in the United States. Well, does that mean then? that well perhaps maybe you should look outside the united states because there's a continent full of black men um that may want to marry you and so i was thinking about how these white men engage in mail order brides and they have websites dedicated to you know white men finding wives in in asian countries and i imagine even in african countries although i haven't seen those websites so i was thinking if, if a person you know wanted to address this problem again i don't believe it is a problem i think it's it's a, a imagined uh, or made up so-called problem but if you really believe that's a problem well start a dating site for 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 black women here in the united states looking for a black male and then they can meet these black men that's over there in africa you know what i'm saying so there are no shortage how can you say there's a shortage of black men when when black men outnumber white men globally that is true scotty because i have two sisters who have married on one sister her husband is from ghana and another sister um her husband is from the west indies we just myself and my husband we just got through celebrating our 25th year um back in may congratulations and, well thank you it's, it, i got great years it's been a struggle <laughs> <laughs> but i i could say and i agree with you as i said you you, you have the caribbean you have Latin and South America, you have the African continent, you know, people, black people in Europe. You have many places, even Canada next door. You have many places where you can find so-called quality black men, if that's what you want to call it, and you can, you can meet. You don't have to look at your oppressor as, and look at them as a catch. Mm-hmm. Because that's, this is all media-driven. This is all media-driven to tell black people, now you can look around the same people who are raping you for over 400 years, now all of a sudden they are good romantic cats that you can look at them and go goo-goo-ga-ga over them. Mm-hmm. Well, what I want to uh, do is, I also want people to consider this, because I had wrote an article about this. It was earlier this year might have been last year i think it was last year because i was seeing this article talking about all these black single mothers and they weren't talking about it in a good way 
you know, they were, they were, you know, saying that these black, all these black single mothers are a problem. Well, I did some research on that. And, you know, because it was saying, you know, also at the same time, they're saying that the absent black father. Well, that's a myth. That's a myth. And, and, and the CDC, even though, you know, again, I'm quoting white people, but according to the CDC study, they said that no, no ethnic group or racial group is involved with their children more than black men. So this absent black father stuff is a myth. Are there absent black fathers? Sure they are, because we know 1.5 million of them may be in prison, okay, unjustly. So we know they are absent black fathers, but the intention of the media is to put out there that black men are producing babies and just abandoning them, okay? And then also is to make the black woman look like some kind of Jezebel or whore. All these black women uh having these babies out of wedlock and and stuff like that and so my research showed me that just because a person didn't go to the white man and get a piece of paper saying that they are married these two people are married doesn't mean these people are not together and in long-term relationships they call some of it i think a term is used as common law marriage here in north carolina i think if you live with somebody in the same household for over seven years, you are looked at as being married, even though you didn't go get a marriage certificate and you didn't go get the blood test and you didn't hire a preacher or a magistrate to say those I do's in front of you. That doesn't mean that you are not in a long term healthy relationship. And then I was thinking also, I mean, why should we be seeking the white man's val, uh, val, um, what's the word I'm looking at, looking for, um, validation, validation of our relationships with each other? Cause it was a time on the plantation, you know, pre-1865 slavery where black people had to get permission from Massa to marry another black person. And then he could destroy that by selling one of them off to another plantation and, and destroying the family. And so I came across a clip that Mr. Neely Fuller had put out about marriage and, and how black people are putting, putting, well, he said this is the title of the clip and y'all can listen to it. Why marriage vows are a joke. And I'm going to play this and I'm going to go to break. And then um, if there's any further commentary, please get it in because I then want to move to the next topic. But this is Neely Fuller talking about marriage. You know, we stand there and we get married. We go through that ritual. I mean, which is a joke, really. It really is. Death do us part love ever after happiness ever after you definitely can't guarantee that you can't guarantee that you're going to be happy the rest of the day right you can't guarantee yourself that not saying nothing about nobody else okay so that's just a ritual words that we have been given okay now I thought about that when I thought about that cement truck because I've often given that illustration you walk out of the church you just took your vows, so you know where I'm going. You said, through sickness and in health, till death us do part. That's what you just said. Great big expensive $4 million ring. All right. 
everybody's crying, you know, ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends, whatnot, whatever. The rest of the people are happy, and they're crying because they're happy. You planned for this wedding many a year ago. The highlight of your life is supposed to be, because that's where everything is geared, which is another mistake, wedding day. See, a lot of people want to get married. Problem is, it's what? They, no, they don't want to be married. See, and they're not honest with themselves about that. What they really want to do is get in that limousine, the rice is being thrown, everybody's cheering, the cameras are rolling, you know, people run alongside the window taking those last snapshots. And this is particularly true in the case of females. See, because it's a fairyland thing. What you really want to do, if you tell the truth, is go right around the block and come around and do it all over again. And do this forever. In other words, keep getting married. Because, see, when you actually leave there, you can feel the, you can feel the world getting small already. You're sitting in the back of the limousine. <laughs> now the crowd done died down. Everybody's gone about their way, see. <laughs> now you wake up the next day and you look at that person. We are alone. No crowd, no cheering section. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? <laughs> in about 30 days, that first argument, okay, that first crack in the dike. That's why they ought to stop even teaching that in school, because that's where it starts. It starts with the little Goldilocks stories, the little, all the little stories about love and marriage start in grade school. That's where I first heard it. And it always ends with what? What's that phrase? They live happily ever after. No, they're supposed to look at each other in the back of that limousine and say, Now comes the disaster. <laughs> all right. Now comes the serious part. Now comes the heavy lifting, and ain't neither one of us ready for it. <laughs> if you're honest, okay, then you got, might have a little chance, but it never gets the way that you want it to be. But let's get back to that cement truck, see. You drive away, and a cement truck hits that wedding party and hits that limousine. Now, her legs are gone, both of them, till death us do part. That's what the doctor tells you when he comes out in the hall. Says, well, she lived, but I got some bad news. Uh, she's paralyzed, and she's lost both legs. She'll be in a wheelchair the rest of her life. You just married. Forty minutes ago, you were getting married. Now... You got to tell yourself the truth. What did those vows mean? Now she had the prettiest legs in town, everybody said. All right? That's one of the things that caught your eye. Okay? No legs. Paralyzed. Just got use of one arm. This is Cecilia. The lady you've been talking about marrying. Five other guys wanted to marry her. You won out. No legs. 
use of one arm. Death us do part. What am I talking about? One word. Truth. Okay. We got to be people who are crazy about truth. Even when it hurts. Why? So that we don't trip ourselves up. Know what you're doing and why you're doing it. At all times. So what I took from that is that people do not really take marriage serious and they look at it as something that they are supposed to do because society told them that they supposed to do it and that they are not really re- ready to enter in such a serious uh contract. And, and, and so, but I don't think that he's telling people not to get married or that he is downing the act of marriage but just be truthful and i'm being truthful with myself in that i don't want to be married i don't want to be married i only want to be in a relationship for whatever reasons that's my choice and i'm being truthful with my 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 uh self as opposed to you know thinking i'm supposed to be in a relationship with someone as a 47 year old man that i'm supposed to be married to someone you know no i'm not supposed to do that i'm i'm supposed to do what I want to do in terms of such a relationship because if I enter into a relationship and I'm not ready for that relationship and I'm not 100% to that relationship, well, guess what? You won't be like me, a divorcee. I got divorced at, at 26. I think I was 26, 27 years old. I should have never even gotten married at 22 years old. What does a 22-year-old know about marriage? Certainly, I'm sure there are some out there who are more mature, you know, than their years. But Scotty was not mature to even make such a decision because Scotty wasn't thinking about all the things you should be looking for in a mate. Scotty was just looking at two things. This woman is pretty and the sex is good. Okay, that's all Scotty was looking at when he got married. He he wasn't concerned about her future aspirations, whether she wanted to get, you know, continue her education or or you know what what other things that she might want to do in the future. And no, all Scotty was concerned about was how she looked and how good the sex was. That and and she looked good and the sex was great and therefore I'm put a ring on it. One of the biggest mistakes I made in my life because I was immature because I was immature. So I'm not, I'm not on here to try to destroy the thought of people getting married or, or anything like that. I'm just saying marriage ain't for everybody. And I think some people are putting more into it because that's what society or, or people are seeking to get married because that's what's expected of them. That's what they've been taught all their lives. You can be in a relationship with someone without being married and it could be healthy, you know. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of more time um, on that. I just think that these people, these uh, white women, I mean, excuse me, these black women who are being showcased in the media who's saying that there's not enough eligible black men and, you know, all these black men is in prison. That's why I can't find one. So I got to go find, you know, uh, uh, somebody else. I got to find, I got to look and start looking at these white boys and, and marrying one of them. And, and that's just, that's just not 
factual. It is not factual. It's not factual. And one last thing on this, that one lady said that she would never consider dating somebody if they had, if they had a record, if they had been in prison. That's kind of like messed up, man. That's kind of messed up, especially if you consider, if you understand how racism and white supremacy work and that it has always sought to enslave black men, then you also are forgetting that many people come out of prison and turn their lives around and become quote unquote successful and go on to get good jobs and, and even become millionaires and whatnot. So by saying, you know, that if a person has ever been in prison, then I'm not going to marry them. You know, now what you should be asking if somebody has been in prison is for a blood test to make sure they ain't got AIDS because of the rampant rape that goes on in prison. But simply because a person has been in prison or they may not have been in prison and got and, and still have a record, but they got a suspended sentence. To say that you would never consider someone like that to, to date, I, I think that just says a lot about the lack of depth of your character. So I, I'm, I'm not, you know, people don't don't fall for this stuff in the media um, because I feel like it is just trying to drive further wedges between black men and women out here in the community. I'm gonna take a state, I'm gonna take another break. I should have took one at the top of the hour. I got some, uh, stuff to share. Then when I come back, I'm going to briefly jump on these next two topics. Not briefly, but with the time that we have remaining, I'm gonna jump on these other, uh, two topics about the dangers of using implicit bias to explain, to explain, uh, racism. And then also, uh, why I think black people are accountable for their actions. And there are different ways that they can be held accountable for their actions that lead to the harming of other black people. Uh, you're listening to Black Talk Radio. My name is Scotty Reed, broadcasting every Monday through Friday at 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. We'll be back here in just a bit. Fourth Annual Liberated Minds Black Homeschool and Education Expo kicks off on July 17th through the 19th in Atlanta, Georgia. The Liberated Minds Black Homeschool and Education Expo was established in 2012 by Rooster Fruits and the Liberated Minds Black Homeschool and Education Association for the strong purpose of providing quality culturally based resources, educational training, and support to black African homeschooling, non-homeschooling parents, and educators alike. This work is to assist in the cultivation of excellence and empowerment of our black children. The Expo also provides a thriving outlet and platform for small black independent businesses that specialize in retailing and or creating culturally conscious products and or services for the development of our youth. For more information on the Liberated Minds Black Homeschool and Education Expo that will be occurring during the weekend of July 17th through the 19th in Atlanta, go to Liberated MindsExpo.com. In Houston, Texas, you are invited to the Sundiata Coley Shaka Sankofa Community Garden on the first Saturday of the month up until September to learn gardening skills from the head gardener and build together with the community. They are looking for people to come out ready to work and get their hands dirty. You do not have to have any experience in gardening. All food grown from the garden is available to the community. 
The garden was named after Sundiata Akoli, who is a political prisoner that has been enslaved for more than 40 years, and comrade in struggle, Shaka Sankofa, who was killed June 22nd in 2000. Sundiata, when asked what we can do in support of the political prisoner, said, build a garden. We must be able to do for self in the name of self-determination. The garden is located at 2428 Sophomore in Houston, Texas. Again, come out on the first of every month starting around 7 o'clock a.m. If you have an event that is free and open to the public and want to announce it on Black Talk Radio, send an email to admin at blacktalkradionetwork.com. This is Brother Elliot, first of time for an awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. And welcome back to Black Talk Radio News. Remember, if you would like to share a comment, question, ask a question, make an observation, give us a call at 530-881-1400. The participant code is 549-032-POUND. Hit star six and one to comment on air. You can also use the web-based flash phone. Uh, no matter where you are in the world, that will be a free call. And so you don't have to worry about running up your telephone. Um, I'm going to read this real quick. I don't like reading entire articles, but it's not that long. And I, I'm just read this real quick by a psychologist named Tom Catwallader. Catwallader, I believe is how you pronounce his name, Tom Catwallader. Rethinking Implicit Bias in Wake of McKinney Incident. Implicit bias is a trending term of art in the discussions of race relations. Attention to the concept has followed events in Ferguson, Staten Island, and now McKinney, Texas. In plain words, implicit bias is an unconscious prejudice, an involuntary attitude or stereotype. According to the Kerwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity at Ohio State University, implicit biases have several important features, notably that everyone has these hidden biases and they are not accessible through introspection. Fortunately, we don't need to rely on introspection. Researchers at Harvard have conveniently provided online access to their instrument, the Implicit Association Test or IAT. Um, there is no predictable, predictable mechanism for developing an implicit bias. Any effect of such hidden attitudes on behavior is even more uncertain. At least when an implicit bias, at least with an implicit bias, a, I'm sorry, at least with an explicit bias, you can figure out where it came from and you know where you stand. We hate Nazis. We hate terrorists. We hate liver has the fact that it is no longer acceptable to say we hate black people come to mean that our prejudice has somehow gone underground and buried in fertile soil of our unconscious. It is facile. Facile, now I'm skipping over something they quoted. Facile just means simplistic. All right. It's simplistic or facile to argue that when a police officer shoots an unarmed citizen, implicit bias might have been at play. In some sense, it lets the officer off the hook. He couldn't help himself. 
we say his unconscious prejudices got the better of him got the better of his training and experience and the natural reluctance most of us feel for the act of killing another person maybe proponents would say that implicit bias operates in that millisecond when the decision is made to shoot or not shoot of course no snap judgment is required when we arrest convict incarcerate and even execute minorities and outsized proportions one of the things that makes an implicit bias implicit is that the bias may contradict a consciously expressed neutral or positive opinion. The uh, implication is that our bias will lead us to behave in ways that are inconsistent with our beliefs. He goes on to cite other studies and, and I'm not going to read the rest for the sake of time, but let me just say, that he, uh, I could be incorrect. If somebody got a different interpretation that read this article in its entirety, then, you know, you are more than ha- happy to share. But what I got from this article is that it is dangerous to assume that these people are practicing racism and white supremacy unconsciously. You know, that they are not being conscious when they decide to gun down a black person. You know, and, 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 and I think that I think that these are conscious acts of racism. I don't think Fox News programming is racist because Robert uh, Rupert Murdoch and Roger Ailes have this implicit bias against black people. Roger Ailes goes back to, he was part of the Nixon administration. He is the one that was responsible for the Willie Horton ad during the uh, first H.W. Bush's um, campaign, you know, when he was running against Michael Dukakis, uh, the Democrat for the pre- for the uh, presidency back in the 1990s. And they, they knew that they could get white people to vote for the other white candidate because this this white man over here is going to let all these animal, criminal, barbaric black men out of prison. They, they didn't produce that ad because they had an implicit bias. No, they made that ad in the manner that they did because they knew based on history, based on the evidence that a lot of white people are attracted to racism and white supremacy. And they want to be on top and they want to maintain their positions of power, whether real or imagined, over black people. I mean, we can even go back to Lyndon, was it Lyndon Johnson? I think, yeah, it was Lyndon Johnson. I was reading this article about Lyndon Johnson. I I was reading the article because I was writing my own article in response to this uh, Asian non-white person who was talking about, you know, Lincoln and how he freed the slaves and this and that, and it had to do with a lot of racism. I can't remember the exact details. But doing research to write my article to to counter this incorrect information this person was put up, I came across an article about Lyndon Johnson when he was campaigning for president. I can't remember who he was running against at, at at the time, or he was trying to get the Democratic nomination. And then he was, do you know when he would like have these like motorcades and stuff, and they're riding through these towns, I guess in these parades or having these events, that he had racist 
signs up calling people niggers don't you know don't vote for the nigger lover kind of candidate and i'm paraphrasing what was said and then he was asked why he did this i think bill moyers asked him this had asked him this and then lyndon johnson's and, and i'm trying to remember so so bear with me and i'm paraphrasing what he said but he was like saying that you can get the stupidest poor poor trash white person to vote for you if you just make him think that he's better than somebody else and so if lyndon johnson was not running a racist campaign because he had this implicit bias you know this unconscious prejudice against black people no he did that because he know that a lot of white people, especially during that time, and, and, and it might be more, but they're just able to hide their racism better these days. They become more codified in their practice of racism, white supremacy, that now, you know, but back then, they were just open with it. And so he, as a political candidate seeking office, he deliberately, intentionally, practice racism so that he could get the vote of racists so that so again we have to be careful about saying this is unconscious people don't i don't feel like people unconsciously practice racism you know i feel like programming does programming like fox news that pushes all this racism and stuff to these white people does that play a role in furthering racism and white supremacy most certainly it does but it does not it does not implant something into them that isn't already there okay you just don't decide to be a racist cause somebody else being racist you decide to, to practice racism because that's what you want to do these are conscious acts of racism you're not paying black men less money for a position that you then you're paying a white person for that position because you have this unconscious bias no you're doing it because you're a racist and that happened to me on the job where i had actually better qualifications more education and had a track record of producing of far more favorable results in the job that I was doing as a third shift supervisor in a dye lab than the white woman that was on second shift who was who was off at times having sex with some of the workers in the conference rooms and stuff like that. But she was making uh I think she was making like five thousand dollars more per year than me. And when I found out how much more money she was making than me, I certainly said something about it. Now, again, you want me to believe that that white woman who was running uh, human resources, oh, she was unconsciously, you know, this was an unconscious act of her practicing economic racism against you, Scotty. So, you know, you have to look over that. She didn't mean to do it. Uh, BS BS she meant to do it what she set out to do and that's to practice racism against us against me and deprive my family of, of, of money and wealth so, so I agree I agree 
with this writer, this psychologist who's saying we need to question how we're using this term called implicit bias that we keep seeing popping up in the media trying to describe why white people is practicing racism. These people are not, not unconscious. These are conscious acts of racism. If we were dealing with children, then that might be a different story. But you become of age and you know right from wrong. And if you didn't know right from wrong, then you wouldn't be denying your racism when you get caught. You wouldn't be saying, oh, black people is just whining about nothing. You know, all these cops gunning down all these unarmed black people disproportionate to their population percentage. Oh, they're being killed because these cops have a... Un- uh, unconscious bias against them or they've sat up and they've watched media all day long that's portraying black people as criminals as thugs and stuff like that N- look that is no all that media does is reaffirm what they already think about black people to begin with I don't think it's the root cause of racism it plays a role in it the role that I think it plays is to send a, a, a dog whistle to say racism is okay. That these people are just whining about nothing. They are always whining about racism. When we leave, look, we got a black president. Now, the segue into this proxy racism, the woman who Sarah said shall not be named. Y'all know who I'm talking about. The black, the woman who wants to be black like me. I heard Larry Elder, a black man on, I think it was either CNN or Fox. It was a clip that I saw, but it was white people's media for sure. And he said that a white woman pretending to be black and living as black all these years is a sign that racism does not exist. See what you see what I'm talking about? That is just garbage. That is just confusion. And that is a black man acting as a tool of racism and white supremacy and spreading that confusion, trying to confuse non-white people about race. That they're, you know, they're, why would a white woman choose to be black if black people got it so bad? And many of us have asked that said same question, trying to figure out why this white woman is acting like this. Because it don't make sense. It's, it's just not something you see every day. But for him to sit up there and say, this proves that racism is a figment of people's imagination. Because why would a white woman want to be black? If being black was so bad. If they got it so bad, why she won't be black? This proves racism don't exist. Just like a bunch, you know, having a black president. This proves that cause they appointed a black president that racism don't exist. Not to, you know, and, and then they're totally dismissing the acts of those individuals in those positions that they have and the negative impact of what they're doing in on black people in, in furthering racism and white supremacy. Now, let me segue because I don't want to run out of time like we did yesterday. Let me let me segue into um, this by saying 
I was asked a question on, on Facebook about, and y'all might have heard the caller yesterday ask me about, you know, quote unquote, holding black people accountable for their actions when it's white supremacists or white supremacy and white people that we should be focused on. Well, again, I feel like when you just say white people are the problem is that you are simplifying. Okay. You are, you are putting forth a theory that is simple. And to explain a complex problem, white supremacy is not simple. White supremacy, the practice of white supremacy is complex and it has many different parts to this machine. All right. And each part has a role. Each part has a function in this white supremacist machine. So to simply say, you know, that if that machine includes non-white people, to ignore them is to ignore, I guess, the solution. I mean, it's impossible to come up with the solution to the problem. Going back to my mathematical example. Now, let's talk about holding black people accountable. I want to bring to your attention something that was shared with me today on Facebook by my abolitionist comrade, Johanan. And he's talking about Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris is the attorney general for the state of California. All right. Now she is running for the Senate. This is what Johanan had to say. Her office sued to keep California inmates slaves working the front lines of California wildfires. She has admittedly profited off of inmate slave labor. So please, just because she's black, go ahead and vote her into a state senate position and so you know he he so this is what i wrote she the article that he shared is saying that she's saying that now she's coming out saying the war on drugs has failed and we need to legalize medicinal marijuana i don't like using that word i use cannabis the scientific term for it all right but anyway she stops far short of saying just total legalization. Why just legalize it for medicinal purposes? Millions of people have been using this plant that grows naturally as one of the creator's creations that has medicinal benefits. Okay. Why would you just want to limit it to medicinal use? Well, she's, she feels like that's the safe route to go. You know, because she don't want to be the tough on drugs because she do not, she does not, based on her history and things she have said, things we have researched and studying this woman and her role in 21st century slavery and human trafficking in California, she does not want to deplete the prison populations of slave labor. So she knows that the majority of people believe that cannabis should be legal, but she doesn't want to lose funding from the people who may give money to her campaign to keep people locked up. So she going to go the middle of the road. She going to ride the fence. I think medicinal cannabis should be, you know, legal if a doctor gives you a prescription, but you shouldn't be able to grow your own and you shouldn't be, you know, if you get busted with it, you know, and you are not, don't have a prescription, then you need to go through the criminal justice system. So how do we hold 
Kamala Harris accountable. Well, first we hold her accountable for her words. We tell those people in California not to vote for this woman and not to send her money to her campaign for those people that participate in what needed fuller cause, the people activity of politics. That's how we hold her accountable by withholding our money, by withholding our support from her in the area of politics so that she does not get to become to get a higher position in the system of white supremacy to further impact black people and non-white people in a negative way that's the way I, I, I'm, I'm passionate I don't want anybody to think that I'm angry with them or I'm fussing at them or you know I get passionate about slavery being practiced in this country and it does make me angry when I see black people supporting the enslavement of other black people now we can say all day long you know that white people are the problem the democratic party is is dominated by white people and this and that and that you know white people run the state of California and the majority of voters are are, are white so we should just focus on them well if you a white person out there don't vote for Kamala Harris alright she does not deserve your political support she does not deserve your finances alright because she doesn't believe in practicing justice she believes in practicing injustice through slavery this is why I don't even want to see black people in these political uh, positions because it confuses a whole lot of other black people and it, it, it just really softens our defenses when it comes to protecting ourselves from racism white supremacy because then we become active participants that's how you hold Kamala Harris accountable is by informing people about the things she has done as the attorney general that you should not support this woman politically because she black because all as they say all skin folk ain't kin folk and we know that they have sought out black people saw out black people and groomed these black people and trained these black people and educated or miseducated these black people to the point that they are practicing, they become tools of the system, become conscious tools of the system not unconsciously Kamala Harris is not an ignorant black woman Kamala Harris has an education Kamala Harris did not get where she's at because she's ignorant in this system. So it, to, to, for us to, to say that she's not responsible for her actions in allowing people in her office to present the argument that you know what we should over, we should stop all of this overcrowding in California prisons and let these people out who are in there for non-violent victimless crimes but instead what did her office do 
if we let all these people out, we're going to lose a cheap labor pool that we have been using these people to fight wildfires. And it will cost us a whole lot of money if we gave people these jobs that's not in prison because it's a very dangerous job. It, revol- it involves training and, and, and knowing what you're doing so that you don't get killed out there. And you should, since you're risking your life, you should be compensated, you know, uh, uh, very good for putting your life on the line in such a risky job. But no, no, no. Instead of looking to open that up to people who are not in prison and hiring those people so they can provide for their families and stuff. No, what you're going to do is take advantage of these people you have enslaved on man-made up crimes that aren't even crimes. So that you can continue to practice slavery. That's how you hold her accountable. And, you know, again, I made a, um, a, I did a poor job yesterday in using the examples. So again, I want to use some of the examples that I shared today. My uncle was killed by a black person here in this, this little rural area that I live. All right. He was still in his twenties. I think he was like in his late twenties when he was murdered. All right. The person who murdered him had always been jealous of him. All through high school because he wanted to date my uncle's girlfriend who he later married and had children with. So this dude always hated my uncle cause of this, right? Because he was jealous and he wanted his, he wanted my uncle's wife. So anyway, my uncle and some of his friends was down there, you know, um, um, they were somewhere where it was a bunch of black people and they were just, you know, having a good time socializing and whatnot. So this black person starts a fight with my uncle. All right. My uncle beats the guy up. Then the guy left and came back with a gun. Now you might ask, well, why didn't they leave? You know, he didn't got in this fight. Then why didn't y'all leave or whatnot? Well, they were trying to leave. We asked that question of, of one of the witnesses, uh, one of my uncle's friends. He said that they were trying to leave. But the car wouldn't stop. And so while they was out there trying to get the car started, here comes this guy with a gun and shot my uncle in the back and killed him. Now, me and my cousins, I remember this as clear as day. I was only a teenager with 14 years old and they hadn't arrested this guy. They hadn't arrested him yet. They were still investigating it or whatever. So all these witnesses, they investigating, right? Whatever. I remember my older cousins coming to get me and we got shotguns and we got in my cousin's car and we was looking for this dude. And if we came across this dude, then he would have been a dead man if we'd have found him on that day. We did not find him on that day. He was arrested. He was convicted. And he is still in prison to this day. He's still in prison to this day. Now, where does where does his personal responsibility come in at murdering my my uncle? Is that the white man's fault? Did the white man make him go kill my cousin because he was jealous of my cousin all these years and wanted 
his wife did white supremacy make this black person kill this other black person no his own jealousy his own pettiness his own hate in his own heart for my uncle is what caused him to kill my uncle so he is responsible the murderer is responsible and the murderer must be held accountable I was not going to get that white that man a pass cause he black I mean let's let's look at these things logically we all do live in a system based on racism and white supremacy we know that but we have free will in this system and we don't have to do everything that is expected of us by this system in fact most black people do not go around gunning down other black people does it happen yes it happens but most black people don't do don't engage in that behavior so white supremacy must not be able to convince a whole lot of black people to go around murdering each other they want us to think that that's happening but the vast majority of black people are not gunning down other black people and if they throw up oh 500 murdered in Baltimore a thousand murdered in Chicago well unless they have arrested someone and shown you the evidence and they have been convicted of that how do you know the black person did it how do you know it wasn't the cops riding around killing people you don't know that so we assume that other black people did all this killing Is white supremacy a problem? Most certainly. But I, I, I don't think that we can use that as an excuse or to try to explain away the things that we do. And I remember years ago asking Dr. Fran, uh, Francis Cress Welsing the question, are black people responsible for their behavior on under a system of racism and white supremacy? And she said yes. That's logic. That's logic. We are responsible for our behavior. If we, if we do not hold ourselves accountable for our actions in this system and furthering this system in harming other black people, then, I mean, if we can't even control what we do, then what's the point, man? What's the point of codifying yourself? What is the point of promoting justice to black people and suggesting that they, you know, like Nita Fuller says, in speech, action, in thought, in your behavior, acting in a manner that produces justice because we, it would seem that if white supremacy has such a grip on us and white people are so in control of us, then no matter what we do, we are not in control of ourselves. So therefore, you know, we aren't the problem. Only white people are. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I'm responsible for what Scotty Reed does. Scotty Reed does not have to help racists cover up the sexual harassment of a black female. Did Scotty Reed lose his job because he refused to go along and tell lies? 
on behalf of this white man who was sexually harassing this black female yes I lost my job cause of that but you can guess what my conscience is I sleep well at night and I look at that as a point of pride that I did not help white people or white supremacists because these people were white supremacists they showed it in their speech action and thought but that's a point of pride for me that I even though I had a good paying job with great benefits that when I was put in a position to lie for a white man who was being sued for sexually harassing a black female that I did not look to advance myself in in that company by covering up for the vice president and I told the truth I practiced justice and that black female got justice what they did so what I lost my job big deal I'm still alive I'm still breathing I'm not homeless and now I run a non-profit organization that I created so actually that might have been the best thing to happen to me is to lose that job because it put me on a path of self-determination and not wanting to ever work for white people who practice racism in my life again now it still may come down to I may be forced to I don't know but if whatever is in my power to not help white people practice racism I'm going to do it and if I go out here and I harm another black person I expect to be held accountable for my incorrect behavior and to think otherwise I think is to just not being you're not being I feel like you're not being realistic I feel like you know you're not you're not offering solutions that have real world applications a lot of things work in theory but then when you try to apply them in real life situations then you find out it don't work See, we, we come up with these things in our mind and it, it, we try to play it out and hash it out in, within our minds. And then once we think that we have come up, you know, with the final product or, or solution or tool or whatnot. But then when we get the prototype built, we see that it doesn't work in the real world. I feel like Simply, I, I feel like saying that white people are the problem and that black people should not be held accountable for their actions. I feel like that doesn't work in the real world. I'm going to use a military example, and I'll check the phone lines. I haven't looked in a while, but I'll check the phone lines. Um, military, let's look at it in the people activity of war. It's one of the examples I shared with, with the gentleman. Um, if I'm on the battlefield, again, you know, I'm on the battlefield. I'm on, I'm working for the U.S. military and then I go, yeah, let's, I don't even have to use, I don't even have to make up something. Let's look at Puerto Rico, the occupied island of Puerto Rico. Nine white people, a lot of black people live on that island. Not just the ones with, you know, that you see that's light skin and classify them as Latinos or whatnot. 
Hispanics or whatnot. There are a lot of black people that live in Puerto Rico. All right. That's an occupied island that the United States took over. All right. So let's say that, let's say that I'm, I'm a black person and I'm on the island of Puerto Rico. And then here comes Ted, is it Teddy Roosevelt? I know there were a couple of Roosevelt's. I think, I think it was Theodore Roosevelt who was, uh, in the army, rough riders and whatnot. Do you, and he came over there with all of those black cavalry soldiers to take over my homeland. This happened in real life, people. So as they come in, as I meet them on the battlefield to defend my home and I look out across the lines, the battle lines, and I see these black people in the, in the, in the U.S. United States military uniforms and they're pulling their guns and they're shooting at me. Should I not shoot back? Does logic not dictate that I not shoot back? Of course, I want to first try to kill the white commander, the one that's giving the orders. But I may have to kill some of those black soldiers to get to that white commander because they're going to defend him with their lives. So to kill this white commander out here on the battlefield who's calling the shots, I might have to kill some of these black soldiers. If I'm not willing to do that, then I might as well th throw up the flag of surrender and say, hey, damn it, y'all got me. I just can't bring myself to kill those black people that look like me. So, damn it, white supremacists, you just too damn smart. Come on in and take over the island. That don't make sense. Does that sound logical in your mind? Think about these things. Does, is that logical? Or am I going to kill whoever I have to kill to protect my family and to protect my community and protect my nation. Because ain't nobody put no gun to them black soldiers' heads and made them go to Puerto Rico and kill all those people so that white people can rule that island. So I, I'm just saying, man, you can't ignore the pieces on the chessboard and then think that you're going to win the game. You might have to go through some pawns to get to that king. That's all I'm saying. And I know on the chessboard you got the black pieces versus the white pieces. But in real life, in real life, the pieces are mixed up and why are they mixed up to cause confusion well I'm not confused I know if you on that other side of that battlefield shooting at me that if I want to live then I'm going to have to kill you that's, that's just simple logic to me people simple logic alright um we got a few more minutes left in the program. Uh, I guess no one has anything they would like to add, but um, we're going to get ready for a Tando radio show. Let me uh, pull up. I think I've already posted his topic, what uh, Brother Dave is going to be discussing. Um, let me see. He is going to be talking about Nibiru, CERN, and, and uh, ITER. 
And uh, that have that has to do with some stuff that's going on in the in the universe. All right, so um, it's scientific type stuff. So make sure y'all stay tuned for that. Um, I enjoyed the pro his program yesterday. You had Sister Kazaya on talking about health and wellness and using you know uh, herbs and stuff to treat ourselves you know in a holistic way. And she will be having a program here on the Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, soon because I have heard some of your requests, some of, you know, the, uh, listeners ask me, why don't we have more black females on the program? And, you know, I had explained to them, we have had them in the past, but for whatever reasons, you know, they couldn't continue on with the program and we lost one to death. She died. And, and so, but, you know, I will seek out, uh, black females. And so, uh, we, hopefully we will, you know, we'll have her, her show which are focused on health and wellness on the air here shortly. We hope, we hope. But, yeah, check out that program. I thought there was a lot of helpful information um, that was shared on the program yesterday. Uh, let me see. All right. Um, I think that's, uh, I think that's about it. I can't, I can't think of anything else that I need to share. Um, we do have a guest for tomorrow and the next day, and I'll be posting that information of those upcoming programs and topics for uh, tomorrow. Uh, thank you for all of those who uh, continue to contribute to the Black Talk Media Project's fundraiser. It's an ongoing fundraiser. The goal was $60,000. Um, I think that is a, a good budget for us to have. Um, we are far short of that. Um, I'm trying to total up some of the new donations so that I can put out the right information about how much we've raised thus far. But even if we fall short of the goal, Scotty going to do what Scotty got to do to keep this network on the air. I have donated plasma out my arm just to, to if I didn't have enough money that month to pay the bills, well, let me go sell some plasma. Let me go collect some scrap metal and go sell that. And I haven't had to do that in a while because of people who have been contributing uh, to our fundraisers and, and making it a point to contribute every month. And I just can't tell you how enough how much I appreciate you and the rest of the host on our network appreciate your contribution and making sure that we stay on air. All right. So that's the end of the program. Stay tuned for Tando Radio Show coming up at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. I'm going to close it out with the theme song because I love this theme song, uh, Jack Metaphor, uh, featuring Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. Uh, y'all check this out. Peace and blessings to all. Recognize the fact that you live behind enemy lines in a war zone. Develop battlefield awareness and do whatever you have to do to survive. All right. comes with a price tag you were slave to a flag and a with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.